Good morning. I have the honor and privilege this morning of introducing to you Matt Kelly. Matt Kelly and his wife Jessica and their three children, Kate, Claire, and Jonah, have been attending our congregation for a little bit over a year. Matt's wife Jessica grew up in this congregation and has been uh, involved with Middletown most of her life. They have met and married and lived in Nashville for, for many years before moving up here when Jessica got a promotion with Westminster John Knox where she's, she's an editor. Matt, I've enjoyed knowing Matt for quite a long time. What a great thing it is to have him now here and participating with their family in our church. And Matt uh, is an ordained United Methodist minister serving United Methodist churches in the Nashville area for the last 20 years. Moved up here with his wife and now is working at Family Scholar House, which is a great nonprofit in the city. Uh, Matt uh, went to Vanderbilt Divinity School where he got his Master of Divinity and got his doctorate of ministry from Emory in Atlanta. So let's give Matt a welcome. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for having me today. As David said, my name is Matt. Uh, and as he said, I'm a United Methodist pastor. The last church that I served was a place where there was a tremendous sense of love and community. And when we were uh, moving up here, one of the things we were lamenting was saying, oh my gosh, where are we going to find that sort of place? And we found it very quickly here at Middletown Christian. So I thank you all for that. Uh, I do have one request, though, because I'm a Methodist pastor worshiping in a disciple's church. Don't tell my bishop. I could be interested. Of course, now that I've said that, it's going to be on the podcast. So, uh, yeah. Gosh, we set the, uh, set the tone early in the service, didn't we? There is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. Wasn't that powerful? If you hear nothing else I say today, remember those words, this power in the name of Jesus to break every chain, because um, this morning we were talking about some chains that all of us carry to one extent or another, but they're ones that we're not very good at admitting to ourselves, to one another, and they're ones we really have a tough time talking about in the church, which is unfortunate. We'll get to that in a minute. So, uh, as David said, I've, I've been in pastoral ministry for a number of years, and my first ministry gig was working at a summer youth missions camp. Y'all have been to things like this. Youth groups come from all over the country. We were in a place in rural Appalachia. They would come and do home repair work for people living in poverty there. And then at night in the camp, we would do worship and group formation types of things. You know, pretty typical youth missions camp stuff. And so then on Friday night, last night of the camp week, it, it, it's, it's emotional. Kids are going to miss the friends that they've made. We have the big campfire with the skits and the, the worship service. And, and we took advantage of how emotional that day was, and that's when we went in for the kill. Now, I don't want to oversell this. It, we didn't do the, the horror stories you hear about. We didn't do the, now kids, look into that bonfire. And imagine burning in hell forever. Didn't do that one. Anyone been to that campfire, by the way? I have. Scared. Didn't scare me out of hell, but man, it was crazy. Uh, we didn't do that one. But we did lay it on pretty thick. We would, we would say things like, you know, you guys have, 
have really experienced God's presence here on the mountain this week, and, and Jesus is calling you, and won't you respond? And we judge our success by how many kids we made cry. You know, we figured if we did our jobs right, Jesus would show up, move in their hearts, and they would just be weeping. And, and you know, a kid would be sitting there on a, on a bench just crying his eyes out, and one of us would come over and do church-appropriate side hug. Tommy, what's up? I, I'm just so sorry for all my sins, and I love Jesus, and I want to give my life to him. Score! Yes, got it. So one Friday night, uh, there's this one young girl. I mean, she's just sobbing her eyes out, and we think we did the best job. And one of the female staffers goes over her, Sarah, what's up? Well, all my friends are crying because they're, they're really moved and... And I'm not, I'm not feeling what I think I'm supposed to be feeling, so I'm upset. Whoops. Human emotions, they're, they're a funny thing. They're, they're, they're very multifaceted. One kid can be sitting there crying his eyes out because he's so moved by the love of God. And another kid's sitting there crying their eyes out because they're not moved by the love of God. The stuff we present on the surface... It is only the first little bit of what's really going on within us. Emotions are complex and difficult things. So I was invited here today to speak to you all about anxiety and depression. And this is a, this is a tough one to talk about for a lot of reasons. They're hard things to talk about, hard things to admit to ourselves, but they're also hard because when we say those words or we talk about those emotions, they can be lots of different stuff. They can be situational. I can be really anxious because I have a, a big presentation at work or school coming up. Or I can be down because I'm going through a breakup. Or they can be seasonal. I'm having a whole season of, of presentations and things I'm worrying about. Or it could have just come through winter like all of us did and there's not enough sunlight and we've all had seasonal affective disorder. Anyone else have that? Yeah, thank God for spring. And then there are those of us, uh, and I'm in this camp for whom anxiety and depression are actually a clinical condition. Uh, my brain, for whatever reason, does not process the chemicals that regulate mood the way uh, a lot of other people's do. And so I take medication and do all those things, and that's just, that's just part of what I deal with. It's really no different than a good friend of mine from seminary who was born with type 1 diabetes, and he takes insulin and all those things. And yet no one walks up to my friend and says, you know, your body would process sugars better if you only prayed harder. And yet I've had that said to me more times than I can count. And that's unfortunate, because church should be the safest place for us to talk about this stuff. A lot of times we'll, we'll, we'll mask it. If I'm, if I'm coming and feeling down, I'll be like, hey, I'm great. Everything's wonderful. If I'm anxious, I go, no, no, I'm fine. Everything's under control. I'm cool. And I'll put on a mask. And really and truly, this should be the safest place for me to come to somebody and say, man, I'm struggling. I'm dying here. Help me. The truth is, if we make enough trips around the sun, all of us are going to experience seasons of anxiety and depression, usually at the same time. 
could be situational or seasonal, could even be medical for all of us, but this is something we all deal with at one point or another, and it's way past time for us to be honest about the stuff that we're dealing with. When we're depressed and we're anxious, it's really easy to feel like we're all alone, like we're the only one who has ever felt these feelings. And friends, nothing could be further from the truth. We've said repeatedly through this series on spiritual crises that everything we go through, all the emotional ups and downs, all the situations, that they're, they're addressed somewhere in the Bible. And anxiety and depression are all over the place in the Bible. I mean, if you ever get too tired of being happy, just open up the book of Ecclesiastes. <laughs> My God, that will wipe the smile off your face. It's in the New Testament, too, in some of the really tough moments after the Last Supper when Jesus and his disciples go to Gethsemane, he pulls Peter, James, and John aside and, and says, guys, I am so sad, it is as if I am dying. And then he goes over to the uh, Olive Grove to, to pray, and he's flat on his face saying, God, take this from me. Don't let this cup happen. And in the Gospels, we are told that Jesus is sweating so profusely that it is like great drops of blood coming down to the ground. Those are the symptoms of a panic attack. And my gosh, if you knew you were getting crucified in the morning, you'd be panicking too. Yeah, Jesus, Jesus is going through all of this stuff. He's fully God and fully human, and he's in the midst of all the... the, the, the junk that we deal with. I love the way that in the musical Jesus Christ Superstar, they, they portray this scene. You know, um, a lot of movies about Jesus, he's more or less floating about six inches above the ground, just kind of off somewhere else. And They'll do the Gethsemane scene. Lord, let this cup pass. Your will, blah, blah, blah. He goes on. That's not how it went. In Jesus Christ Superstar, the way they do it is he, he's, he's there on, on his hands and knees and said, then I was inspired. Now I'm sad and tired. When we get depressed or we get anxious, it just sucks the life out of us. The things that we used to enjoy are just, they're not there anymore. and We, we feel stuck. We feel no way out. And sometimes we'll do anything, and I mean anything, for the pain to go away. Another way to talk about this is saying that we feel powerless in our despair. So there's a passage uh, from Luke, uh, Luke's account of the crucifixion, that shows us a whole bunch of different characters in this story. And all of them are dealing with their own times of despair in different ways. Now, I don't want to suggest that every single character in this story is dealing with anxiety or depression, but I do want to say they're all coming to this moment of struggle and of crisis, of feeling powerless over their own situations, and the different ways that they deal with it say a whole lot to us. So let's read from Luke chapter 23, verses 26 through 43. As they led him away, they seized a man, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming from the country. And they laid the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A huge crowd of people followed Jesus, including women who were mourning and wailing for him. 
Jesus turned to the women and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't cry for me. Rather cry for yourselves and your children. The time will come when they say, Happy are those who are unable to become pregnant, the wombs that never gave birth, and the breasts that never nursed a child. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. If they do these things when the tree is green, What will happen when it is dry? They also led two other criminals to be executed with Jesus. When they arrived at the place called the Skull, they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And they drew lots as a way of dividing up his clothing. The people were standing around him watching, but the leaders sneered at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he really is the Christ, sent from God, the Chosen One. And the soldiers also mocked him. They came up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, If you really are the King of the Jews, save yourself. And above his head was a notice of the formal charge against him. It read, This is the King of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging next to Jesus insulted him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. Responding, the other criminal spoke harshly to him. Don't you fear God? Seeing that you're, you've been sentenced to die, we are rightly condemned. For we are receiving the appropriate sentence for what we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me. When you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you that today you will be with me in paradise. So we just met a bunch of different characters here. Let's let's take them one by one. First, we see Jesus. Now, we already saw how Jesus is feeling hopeless and powerless in Gethsemane, but isn't it kind of weird to talk about Jesus as being powerless? I mean, he's, he's the son of God. Fully God, fully human. Is it possible for Jesus to be powerless in a situation? Well, the Christian tradition would actually tell us, yes. There is a Greek term called kenosis. Everybody say kenosis. There's your vocab word for the day, kenosis. Kenosis means an intentional self-emptying. Christ uh, intentionally laying aside some of his divine nature at the incarnation to be with us in our mess. So Jesus is, in fact, powerless here. Sort of. We'll come back to that one in a minute. And the next we see Simon of Cyrene. Now this is a guy who is from what is now Libya in North Africa. And he's there on pilgrimage for the Passover. He's a, a, a Jewish convert. So he's there to praise God for uh, delivering the ancestors from slavery in Egypt. And he's standing there minding his own business on the side of the road and gets yanked out of the crowd by a Roman soldier. Remember, Simon's from North Africa. This very dark-skinned man is really standing out from the Palestinians and certainly from the, uh, the Roman soldiers who are European. And he knows better, or he knows what's going to happen. If a uh, light-skinned person in uniform carrying weapons tells him to do something, and he says no. So he goes along and he carries Jesus' cross. And we don't know anything about Simon after that, but I really do wonder what he was feeling that night. 
he, he came here to, to make a sacrifice, to worship God, and all of a sudden he is pulled in and forced to participate in an oppressive power, torturing and murdering an innocent person. Simon, I can't help but wonder if Simon is despairing. If he's anxious about being judged by God for the blood that is on his hands, that for what he was forced to do, Simon's probably feeling despair. He's definitely feeling powerless. And then there's the groups that conspired to have this whole thing happen, the, the Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin, Pilate, the Roman governor, and the Roman soldiers. These guys are flexing their muscle, right? We can't really talk about them being, being powerless or in despair. Or can we? The Jewish leaders are held up by the community and expected to, to do what people want to keep the peace. And we know that there were uh, people on the Jewish council, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, who believed that Jesus was the Christ, and yet they're all kind of getting uh, pulled along in this whole scenario and sacrificing one of their brothers so that Rome doesn't do something worse. I can't help but wonder if at the end of the day, a number of these Jewish leaders were themselves feeling despair, feeling powerless, anxious about being judged by God feeling stuck. Pilate, the Roman governor, is a powerful guy, and yet he gets shoehorned into this thing. He gets, he gets pulled along. He doesn't care about the Jewish leader squabbles, but he also knows what's going to happen if there's another riot. Judea is a troublesome province, and so he knows he's got to go along with this too, even though part of him doesn't want to, and so Pilate himself might be feeling despair feeling anxious and feeling powerless. And the soldiers themselves, they got to do the dirty work, but they have no choice in this matter. They, they take orders. All these men joining the Roman legions, they go through these years of, of fighting battles, invading and, and, and pillaging and torturing and killing for the empire. And as much as they may get used to it, there's some humanity deep down that is probably just being torn apart by the stuff they're ordered to do. Even the people allegedly exercising power here are probably feeling some despair, some angst, feeling powerless in this situation. And let's not forget the disciples. Those are guys who deal in various ways. Peter, leader of the church, he, he, he thumps his chest, Jesus, I'm never going to leave you. I'll be with you to the end. Yeah, we know how that one went. Now, to be fair, Peter did follow along much longer than the rest of the guys did. The rest of the guys ran. Peter followed along, but when it came down to it, when he was confronted and said, hey, you're one of his followers, in other words, Peter is confronted with who he really is. He lies. He pretends he's somebody he's not. He lives in denial. And when that rooster crows at sunrise and Peter is confronted with that failure, he runs away and weeps and is in despair. And then there's Judas. He's the guy who set this whole thing in motion. He, he conspired with the leaders. He got himself a payday for handing over Jesus. And it may be that Judas felt like what he was doing was right. It could be that Judas is trying to force Jesus' hand, saying, okay, I'm going I'm to paint you into a corner, then you're going to have to start the revolution. But that's not what happens. 
when Judas sees what is happening and he, he sees that he can't undo it, he is so lost in his own despair that he does what so many people who feel stuck because they're anxious, they're depressed, they feel powerless. He does what so many people do. He takes his own life. He thinks there is no other way out. And friends, if that's where you are today or someone you love, I want you to know there are other ways out. People who attempt suicide uh, are not doing it because they want to die necessarily. They just want to do anything, and I mean anything for the pain to go away. And that's what Judas was doing. He just wanted the pain of his guilt to go away. If that's where you're at today, I want you to know there are people in this room, in this church, who want to walk with you through this, who want to show you that there is another way out. There are people here in this room today who will help carry your hope for you when you can't carry it for yourself. I'm here today because there are people that carried my hope for me during dark times. Now, there is no bigger villain in the New Testament than Judas. Satan gets some bad press in a couple of places, but nobody gets it worse than Judas. And so sometimes we read this story and we think, that guy got what was coming to him. And maybe he did. But I also believe that if Judas had stuck around for a couple of days, if he'd endured those moments when he felt like there was no way out, I believe that Judas would have been sitting on that beach next to Peter with Jesus cooking them breakfast and saying, do you love me? I forgive you, lead my people. He would have been there receiving that forgiveness and that blessing that transformed his whole life right there with Peter. I believe he would have been forgiven. Excuse me, I don't believe that. I know it. Because that's who Jesus is. Judas didn't see that way forward, but if he had stuck around just for a couple of days, it would have found him. All these characters in this story are here to hold a mirror up to us. We can live in denial. We can pretend things are, are great. Or we can succumb to the fear that there is no other way out and, and do something drastic. They're all there to show us ourselves in powerlessness and despair. The story doesn't end there. There's one more character we haven't considered. That's the thieves hanging on the cross next to Jesus. Now, one of them is still living in denial. He's talking trash to Jesus, saying, hey, save yourself. As if this isn't the end of the line for him, too. But the other one is, is living with no such pretensions. He's saying, dude, this is the end of the line. We're at where we're at. I can't handle this. I'm done. But Jesus, I know you can. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. This thief on the cross next to Jesus is taking uh, the first couple steps in what we would call uh, recovery today in the 12 steps, admitting that he is powerless over his situation and turning to a higher power to help him through it. And in this guy's case, that higher power is not somewhere off in the heavens. It is hanging right there next to him, exactly where he needs him to be. And that's where Jesus is for each and every one of us in the mess of our own lives. 
in the midst of our own darkest times in despair. Jesus is right there with us, having done this kenosis of self-emptying to say, I'm here, I'm with you, I will carry you through. And again, the story doesn't end there. He says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Those guys come down from the cross. And on Sunday, Jesus rises again to show us that the despair, the powerlessness, all the stuff doesn't get the last word. God gets the last word, and that is life, that is resurrection. That is where the story ends, and our story begins. So really, we have to ask ourselves, if we're there, if we're in one of these characters feeling stuck, don't know which way is out, there doesn't seem a way out, let's be bold enough to name those things. To say, where am I? Where am I powerless? Where am I feeling despair and feeling no way out? Can, can we be bold enough to name those things? I'll start. I'm powerless against a massive sense of insecurity. I want everybody here to think I'm the smartest kid in the class, that I'm the funniest guy, that I'm good-looking, that I'm tall, which I'm not. I, I, I need to feel special, and so I need Jesus to come and join me there in that place where it tells me, no, I don't really have it together, and to say, Matt, you are enough. You don't have to be all these special things. I'm here with you. You are enough, because that's how I made you. That's where I need Jesus to be with me, telling me that there is a way forward. So what about you? Where are you powerless? Where do you see no way forward? Is it because of suffering? Is it because someone has injured you and you're having trouble forgiving? Is it doubt? Is it all kinds of things? Whatever it is, the first step is to join in that prayer of the thief on the cross. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's our prayer this morning. That's what we're going we're gonna to sing it together using a, a, a tune from the Tizé community in France. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's our way forward when we feel that there is no way forward to see Jesus hanging there on our mess next to us and say, I don't have this, but you do, Jesus, so remember me. Let's stand and sing together. today and always. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.